0: Welcome everyone to a Baseball America College podcast, along with Aaron Fitt. I am John Manuel. This Baseball America College Podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. ATech is committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATechSports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt Head Coach Tim Corbin and more on ATEchsports.com, ATEC One Every Practice. And Aaron, uh, I, I think if we if Steve Smith of Baylor had been the coach that A Tech had worked with this year, it would be A Tech win every freaking game. Baylor has yeah. won uh, Baylor's won 24 straight games, uh, 18 straight in the Big 12, and the Battle of the Brazos, the last Battle of the Brazos in Big 12 conference play, goes on this week and uh, this weekend. And first of all, kudos to Baylor Athletics. Uh, obviously a women's basketball championship, Heisman Trophy, football team, just all the upswing, and the fans responded, those sports, and the fans responded in baseball this weekend, Aaron, great crowds down there in Waco. And then kudos to the Baylor baseball team, biggest challenge of the season so far with A&M, and they sweep the series to extend those win streaks to record proportions for both them and in the Big 12 for consecutive conference games won. What more can you say about the Baylor Bears Aaron? I'm hoping that you will add to uh my sense of wonder.
1: Yeah, that's it's really it's awe inspiring. You know, at this point, um it's uh <laughs> they they just keep on doing it and, and this weekend, um yes, it was the big challenge and you know, I've I've been pretty outspoken all year about how I thought A and M was a team to beat in the big twelve and um, you know, even going into this weekend I thought A and M was gonna win this series because I just thought that Waka and Stripling give them such an advantage in the first two days. But you know what? Um, Baylor beat the, those guys, and it's because they got better pitching. You know, Josh Turley was better than Michael Waka, and and uh, in particular, Trent Blank was better than uh, than Ross Stripling, who was very good. He only gave up one run on Saturday. But, um, you know, Trent Blank and, and and Josh Turley are two guys that they don't blow you away with stuff. They don't have nearly the stuff that Walka and Stripling have. Uh, but they just win just like Baylor does. I mean, it's just, uh, it's it's really remarkable. Um, I do think that, that, you know, one point that, that Steve Smith made this past week in our weekend preview was that, you know, this Baylor team, they don't blow you away in any facet, but if they have one area that's above average, as he put it, it's their offense. And it's because they don't let up one through nine, um, you know, and, and I think it, it helps a lot that Josh Ludi has really had this breakout year as a senior and, uh um you know he had all the home runs last week against Kansas State and then this week he had another home run to kind of get them going on Sunday a, you know a, you're not gonna have a better at bat than that a 14 pitch at bat fouled off 10 straight pitches and then hit a home run against uh Rafael Pineda I mean it's uh you know it's guys like that that have just stepped forward a Langford that have stepped forward this year and really um become a very good player and you know Nathan Orff and, and, and Dan Evitt, who had a big hit on Sunday to give them the lead for good. It's just you know a different guy. It seems like every night some of the same guys, uh, but uh, they're they're a, they're a darn good club and they're playing with incredible confidence right now. And I can't believe that they swept A and M. I mean, I, you know, it's one thing to win 21 straight against uh, the lesser teams in the Big 12, but I think to sweep A and M is just uh, it takes it to a different level.
0: It really does. They definitely took it to a different level. Five-and-a-half game lead now in the Big 12, Aaron. And it's hard to imagine, um, you know, Baylor not being a top-eight national seed. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But um, I I just think the ramifications of of this sweep need to be taken into account a little bit. And if you look at the rest of Baylor's schedule, I mean, this is – I mean, you imagine they're going to lose a game here or there. It is baseball. Usually teams lose games. Uh, but in the conference, uh, they kind of take a break this weekend. They finish up at Oklahoma, and with a series, you know, two-thirds of it are at Texas. And Oklahoma certainly is playing well. So you figure with five of your last six games on the road against Oklahoma and Texas, you know, Baylor's probably going to struggle in one of those games. But, I mean, their offense, uh, like you said like you wrote about, in a year where, uh, you know, we had the mid-season trends report come out, uh, what, a, either last week or the week before. But the week before, was it not?
1: I think so. So about a
0: week and a half ago, so the NCAA snapshot of of Division One baseball and just how offense is basically at last year's levels. Even though I thought the anecdotal evidence was that it was that the bats were a little better and offense was up a little bit, uh, the the physical, the hard evidence is that it's not. Uh, we're at 2011 offensive levels, and when you have a physical, older uh, offensive team like Baylor and you catch the ball, and you're competent at pitching the ball as well, it just seems like it makes such a big difference, Aaron, because they're so much more yeah. offensive in their competition. I completely
1: agree. I think that's a great way of putting it. And, you know, it's starting to seem like that's how you win in college baseball now is you have a physical older lineup, and uh, and you don't need special pitching. I mean, just look at last year. You know, look at UCLA. With Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer, and you know, I mean, all the arms that they had, and and they couldn't hit, and and they didn't win a regional, and and now you know they're older and more physical offensively, and their pitching isn't special, and and they're a better team.
0: Arkansas, you know, Look I think at Arkansas,
1: to, Arkansas is another great example, a team that just isn't really hitting. Um, I mean, I feel like they've got some veterans and they should hit, but for some reason they just don't, uh, and it doesn't even matter how good their pitching is. You know, they're 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 not. They're not really winning. They've lost three out of four series. Uh, so I think that's it. I think that it's more important now in college base. Look at Central Florida, another team that really stands out for, the, for their uh, for their their you know having a bunch of older guys in the lineup, physical guys. It's an offensive team, and and you know they're they're really having a great year. Yeah. That, uh, you, don't need, you don't need you don't need to be special on the mound anymore because all you have to do is throw strikes and and you know and and play catch and and, and you're gonna win.
0: I I couldn't agree more, and I think that we really are seeing that this weekend. But maybe it took this for this weekend for it to really crystallize. But I think you nailed it. You don't have to be special on the mound. You just have to throw strikes and and catch the ball and uh, and that, and that's. You know, I'm not trying to take anything away from Baylor. Uh, I, in fact, I think we're adding to Baylor's uh, resume, and that they're 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 physical and they can score runs. And uh that, that that makes them very, very dangerous uh for the postseason. Meanwhile, Texas A and M uh followed twenty eight and 12, 9 and six in the Big Twelve, uh fell seven spots in our rankings, Aaron. Is that where we yeah, from two to to nine. Right. Uh, could have fallen more. Um you know their resume versus those Pac ten team Pac twelve teams, I think it is very difficult for us to separate those Pac twelve teams, so we, we didn't separate them, we have them all <laughs> bunched up. But now a five-game losing streak for the Aggies. They've still got to play Texas, Texas Tech, and then add Oklahoma State to wrap up league play with one uh, non-conference series. Did A&M's hosting uh, possibilities take a real hit? I mean, uh, they've got a beautiful new facility there. Did did the Aggies have a shot to host? Uh, Clearly they're not going to be a top-eight national seed anymore. That's that's out the window. But uh, how big of a blow is this series uh, sweep?
1: It's a it's a big blow. There's no, no doubt about it. Um, you know, it's a, you, all of a sudden. You know, rather than, than being this team that is at the top of a really poor conference, um, they're you know what are they? Six games out of first place now. I mean, five and a half. It's, yeah. It's a, it's a big difference. It's a big difference. And and you know, they've got Texas this week. I still think if they if they win that Texas series, I think they'll be in fine shape to host. Um, but if they lose that Texas series, then no, I don't. You know, I think you're right. I think all of a sudden the hosting thing becomes, all of a sudden that's in jeopardy too. I mean, it, that's, you know, it's one thing to go lose a series to Baylor, a really good Baylor team, a really hot Baylor team, to get swept by Baylor in, at the end of an 0-4 week. You know, they also lost that midweek game to Rice. Um, hey, this team is constructed kind of the opposite of the way Baylor is constructed. You know, we talked about how you don't have to be special and overpowering on the mound, um, but you need to have Physical guys and and A&M doesn't have physicality in their lineup at all. You know, even their best player, Tyler Naquin, um, he he's not. You he wouldn't use the word physical to describe him. I mean, he can flat out hit. You know, it doesn't matter that he's not physical. But the rest of their lineup uh, is just uh, not imposing. And um, you know, they've, they've got some good players. I mean, I you know certainly I've talked about how much I like Mikey Reynolds and um, you know Matt Yingles, a good player, and Jacob House. But I mean, it's uh, this lineup isn't nearly the lineup that Baylor has and uh so it just really stood out this weekend, and not that those were you know these weren't dominating wins by Baylor I mean it was a couple of two run games and a one run game um you know they they could have gone either way, but uh all three of them I think could have gone either way, but uh you know Baylor showed a knack for getting the big hits at the right time, and uh uh maybe a little bit more mental toughness there
0: yeah, I think that's the uh, one of the stats <laughs> that you have in top twenty five tracker thirteen of Baylor's. Uh, 24 wins have been decided by one or two runs th- 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 of the 24 straight wins, including 11 of in the last 15. So they really have a knack for winning that close game. And Aaron, just, uh, just as I'm sketching out regional host uh, clubs, it really does feel like uh, that Texas Tech A&M series winner uh, has a huge leg up. But it does not feel like the Big 12 is going to get two, three hosts. It feels like it's definitely a two-host league. Um, any chance Oklahoma yeah. can can jump up there to be that team, or I I suppose no, I Oklahoma so. State's making a run, uh, making a run, but do, you don't you don't see that? Is it really pretty much as a Longhorn to the Aggies?
1: As as the second host, yeah, yeah, I think I mean there's there's no way I don't think Oklahoma can get up that high. Although you know it, it looked like the, the the series this weekend against Alabama State didn't give um, Oklahoma the kind of RPI hit that maybe I thought it would. I think there's still. Uh, what are they? Uh, they're still in the top 60 or so, roughly. It seems like in the in the pseudo RPI. So that's actually good news for Oklahoma Whether they at least they swept that series. I mean, a loss to one of those games would have really hurt them. Uh, I think they're looking in good shape now for uh, for that large spot at least because they've they've gotten hot at the right time. And yeah, they're number 55 in the RPI. So they're doing all right.
0: <clears throat> it's the Baseball America College Podcast with John Manuel and Aaron Fit. Aaron, uh, so we talked about Baylor with a five and a half game lead in the Big 12, vaulting up to number three in the rankings this uh, this weekend. But Florida State still number one, uh, 24 game win streak or not for Baylor, we can't uh, jump them over Florida State considering the uh, Seminoles are 19 and two in the Atlantic Coast Conference, have not lost a series all year, and uh, 33 and seven, still our number one team. Really, the only blemish for them is the two midweek losses, basically. To Florida. Otherwise, they're in uh, Florida State's been close to perfect, and uh, obviously a pretty big weekend when you're Florida State when you can sweep Miami. Uh, we'll talk about the Hurricanes and their struggles in a minute. An uh, injury-depleted Miami team this weekend, but uh, so what can you do if you're a Florida State? You just take care of business, and that's what they did. Uh, two dominating wins, and then uh, their bullpen comes through on uh, on Sunday in a close game, uh, as does their offense. Uh, Florida State just kind of steady as she goes there and even with James Ramsey slumping at least a little bit just coming back to earth a little bit over the last month or so Florida State just keeps on uh, keeps on uh, dominating and they have a a six game lead now in the Atlantic Coast Conference I mean they're they're about as locked for a top eight national seat as any team in the country aren't they
1: oh yeah there's no doubt about it especially since I you know I don't feel like the remaining schedule really presents a lot of challenges at this point i mean i think they're they're just they just got a stranglehold right now over the acc uh it's uh you don't see a team win the acc with this kind of distance um you know i mean it's it's we see it once in a while i feel like in the big 12 you see a, a, one of these runaway teams like baylor's doing this year we've seen texas do that before but in the acc to have a six game lead over everybody else in the league uh boy it's just unusual you know and and uh you got to give it to Florida State. They've won games a lot of ways, and I was interested to see how they would respond this weekend in a series that I think they really should have won. I think they're clearly better than Miami and and certainly healthier than Miami. But uh, you know, they had that little hiccup last Sunday. They got blown out by Boston College. Right. Um, you know, I think it was it was important that Florida State. Show that that was just uh, an aberration as as we thought it was and we left at number 1 last week didn't put a whole lot of stock in that game and uh you know they, they they did take care of business against Miami and uh you know we we've talked a lot about Florida State I think this year but um we I think we both like their club and and uh they've gotten some some new faces kind of stepping forward you know this this weekend they had another freshman um Holland I think it was uh John Holland yeah John Holland and you know had a nice, nice game came in support of another freshman, Mike Compton, on Saturday. So, I mean, it seems like there's – you know, they've had a lot of different guys contribute at Florida State.
0: Yeah, and then and then Holland had another big game on Sunday. So, it's, you know, they keep coming up with, uh, you know, with new guys. And, uh, you know, the seven-run inning for Miami on Sunday. And Florida State just – it seems to me that's their biggest strength, is that they were just completely unfazed by – they're just unfazed by anything that other teams do. It feels like uh, they pretty much worry about themselves. That's the way that coaches – Tell team, you know, worry about what you can control, that kind of stuff. They seem like they're that kind of team. And again, I think that goes to, with the exception of their pitching staff, they are pretty much a veteran team. We talked about their veteran infield all year. We, you know, we're just talking about some freshman contributions, but they, when push comes to shove, Aaron, they're veteran bullpen, veteran infield, obviously the senior leader in in Ramsey out in center field. This team doesn't get rattled and doesn't panic. And again, they're that older physical team that allows them to. Have success in the BB Core era. Exactly. Yeah, I think mean, that makes a big difference. They did also have a freshman uh, shortstop. I think the the big key we'll see now is uh, how serious, I guess, his injury is to Justin Gonzalez. He left Sunday's game after only one at bat. Uh, I haven't seen a report on, on his health. I just noticed that in the box score yesterday on my phone, and uh, uh, we'll see how he, you know, because uh, you could ill afford to lose. Uh, a veteran shortstop who, you know, is as physical and offensive and consistent defensively as Gonzalez is, but I mean obviously Florida State has some cushion as we talked about. Uh six game cushion in the ACC, the two second place teams overall in the league behind them are North Carolina and NC State. Uh North Carolina with a series loss this weekend at home to Georgia Tech. Let's focus on the the positive aspect of that first. That is Georgia Tech obviously with the positive uh, Georgia Tech was seven and eleven coming in uh, to the to the weekend in the league. Uh, Nine and twelve still isn't great, but that's got to be a pretty big boost for Georgia Tech. Uh, does that put them from off the bubble to on uh, uh, off the bubble for the tournament to in the tournament on the on the better side of the bubble now, Aaron?
1: I think so. Yeah, I think you'll see that switch probably in tomorrow's stock report. Um, with with Maryland probably sliding back out after they got swept this weekend by. Somebody, uh, oh, who would right. they play? Was it was, it, I uh, it, was it was Clemson. Oh, right. Maryland right. was swept by Clemson this weekend. So, um, you know, that probably hurts Maryland and helps Georgia Tech. And, you know, Georgia Tech helped itself, more importantly. It really, really needed that series. Um, you know, and uh, ah, that, that coastal division is a little bit of a muddle. I mean, North Carolina – slides into first place by itself kind of by default as Miami gets swept and you know it seems like these teams are just beating up on each other now I mean uh, you, you know Virginia is up and down up and down it seems like um, you know they 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 did get swept by North Carolina last week they bounced back this week won a series at Duke you know they they have swept Wake Forest which and it's you know Wake's had its own
0: Ups and downs.
1: It's, its own ups and downs. I mean, it, you know, last week it beat Georgia Tech, which just beat North Carolina, and I mean, you know, Clemson, and it's just if you, if you, this is one of those leagues where if you try to use the transitive property to figure out who's best, you're going to drive yourself crazy because they just they just they're all beating up on each other.
0: With the exception of uh, with the exception of Florida State, the very notable exception right. of Florida State, feels like next right. weekend, Aaron, this Clemson Georgia Tech series is just going to be huge. Very quietly, because they haven't been in the rankings. Clemson's gotten hot. And uh, they did have the series loss at home to NC State, which you know is one of the big reasons why NC State feels like they're you know kind of you know uh, secure. Uh, again, tied for second in the league, they're very secure of being in the tournament. But Clemson's now only one game behind NC State and North Carolina at 12 and nine. These back-to-back sweeps of uh, you know with we a sweep this week, I should say, of Maryland. Before that, they swept that series at Duke. So they've they've won a couple. Of, they've swept a couple of road series. Granted, against kind of. You know, not top teams, but, you know, Virginia couldn't sweep Duke uh, on the road. Uh, we've had a, a couple other teams that have gone to Maryland and haven't fared well in the league. Uh, talk a little bit about Clemson. I mean, we had them as a preseason top 25 team. Um, are they starting to – what's helped them right the ship a little bit? And are they – could they put themselves into a – I, I unless they're going to be – unless they're going to make the tournament now, uh, could they do anything to put themselves in the, in the hosting conversation?
1: I don't see it. I, I think they're they're too big of a hole to dig out of. I mean, I suppose uh, you know if they, if they run, they pull a Baylor here and don't lose again, then yeah, right. they'll probably host. But <laughs> right. I mean, you know, the series, the schedule ahead does does give them opportunities. You know, they they have Florida State at home. Um, you know, if they let's say they win that series, let's say they, you know, they they go to Georgia Tech next week and, and win that series, and they also have a road series against Wake Forest. So I mean, that's the thing. For Clemson, the schedule does open up a little bit with with, with opportunities, I should say. I mean, it's not it doesn't get really easy for them. Right. Uh, I think it's a more challenging finishing stretch than a lot of ACC teams have. They also have three against College of Charleston, which is a quality series. Um, you know, at this point, I think Charleston is looking like a, um, potential two seed in a regional. I mean, that kind of a year. They're having a nice year, so um, you know, it's uh, the the opportunity is there for Clemson. They need to get hot, and and you know they. They've been playing better of late, certainly. You know, Duke and NC State, uh, uh, or Duke and Maryland, rather nice road sweeps for them. Uh, they, they did lose that home series against NC State last weekend. So every time you, you start to get excited about Clemson, it seems like they take a step back. But, right. um, but, but there's some nice things on their resume now. They are going to be in, in regional, it sure seems like, barring a real collapse here. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I still don't think that they're, they're a great team. I mean, I think they're, they're, they're okay. Um, but uh, they've gotten, I think, better production of of late um, from the the bottom half of their order, which had been kind of a gaping hole. Um, this weekend, uh, you know, John McGibbon and Spencer Keboom and you know Brad Felder and, and Jason Stoltz, those guys, uh, I think they they had better weekends, uh, which is going to be a key for Clemson because they just you know they need more production out of those guys.
0: To me, Aaron, it seems like the the defining characteristic about the ACC is that uh, just outside of Marcus Stroman, who was on the last place or second-to-last place team in the league, there's not a dominant Friday starter in this league. There's some mm. there's some pretty good Friday starters. Ken Emanuel is obviously pretty good, but North Carolina has lost four of his last five starts. You know, NC State's best starter doesn't start on Fridays. Carlos Rodon goes on Saturdays. Florida State doesn't have a Sean Gilmartin. It's just the whole staff are solid in, in, the, in the bullpen. You know, Kevin Brady is good for Clemson, but he has one win. Uh, Wake Forest, Tim Cooney is good, but he's kind of like Strowman. He's really good, but he's on a team that's just okay. They're just not a dominant Friday, you know, Florida, Virginia, Brendan Klein, good. Although we saw him bad this weekend here, but he can't carry a team. They're just, there's real, you know, Marcus Stroman to me is so far and away the best Friday guy in this league. It's not a lot of aces in the ACC. It's just more, uh, it, it really stands out. I guess Buck Farmer, if I had to pick the, second-best Friday starter in the ACC, I might pick Buck Farmer. At uh, You might be Tech. right.
1: You might be right, too. I mean, you know, I, I think Brandon Leibright has been really actually consistent for Florida State. I mean, he's just a freshman, you know, and he doesn't blow you away. But uh, if you look at the numbers, they're probably, they're probably up there pretty good. He's beaten a lot of good teams and matched up with people. But um, but you're right. I mean, I think, uh, you know, on paper, you, you'd think maybe it might be manual but he hasn't been uh, results-wise. And, you know, Farmer, I, mean, I think that's probably the choice. I think it is Buck Farmer.
0: <laughs> By default, Buck Farmer, congratulations. Poor Dusty Isaacs. I should never show up to a Dusty Isaacs start again. I saw him against NC State, and I don't think he lasted four innings in that one. then I saw him against North Carolina on Saturday, yeah. and he gave up eight runs in the first, and that was a hoochie mama kind of game. Um, just you know, not, and, just not and, good.
1: And I'll make one more interjection here. I think probably the best Friday starter in the league, besides Stroman, is pitching on Saturdays. You know, it's Carlos Rodon. You know, yeah. I mean, he's
0: yeah. I, I like
1: the way they set up their rotation.
0: You know, I love Marcus Stroman. And I know this is a loud statement. If I'd take Carlos Rodon over Marcus Stroman right now, and for the future. And I'm not trying to knock Marcus Stroman in any way, shape, or form. He's Awesome. I just think Carlos Rodon is better. So,
1: uh, I, I don't think he's better right now. I mean, if I had to win a game tomorrow, I would still take the, the veteran. Um, I I'd mean, take
0: the fearless lefty. <laughs> it would be close. Okay. I would love to watch that game, and I wish that uh, NC State would just go ahead and, and throw Rodon on Fridays so we could see that happen because that's next weekend or this, this coming weekend, Duke and NC State. And I want to see that game on Friday. I want to go. I want it to be Strowman against Rodon, and let's see it go mano a mano. But uh, I can guarantee you, that I think that's the first time we've talked Duke NC State baseball on the Baseball America College Podcast, which is sponsored, <laughs> by the way, by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. ATEC is committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbett and more on atecsports.com. Atec win every practice. Speaking of Vanderbilt, Aaron, let's go to the Southeastern Conference. The big showdown was Kentucky against LSU, and the Wildcats uh, win it again. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know what else we could really say about uh, Kentucky, but it sounds like it was a pretty great series, pretty even series. And uh, can, between Kentucky, LSU, Florida, and South Carolina, we've got four SEC teams. Uh, right there in Wisconsin, our top seven. And it feels like other than Kentucky here and the hottest team there is South Carolina, which kind of, you know, don't yeah. look now, but the Gamecocks have won four straight series in the league. And a guy like Grayson Griner, you know, we talked about NC State's freshman class. South Carolina's freshman class, which was kind of their problem when they first got into SEC play, started to become part of the solution.
1: You're right. And, and Tanner English has been playing well also. I think he had a four-hit game on Sunday. Yeah, I think South Carolina is... Coming together, you know, and it's kind of quietly now. They're what are they, 31 and 11 or something like that. I mean, it's uh, uh, it's it's been a little under the radar because they didn't get off to a great start. It's kind of like Rice, though. I mean, both those yeah, teams. You look players. up and all of a sudden they're you know they've they've won 75% of their games and uh, and they're sitting pretty, um, you know. And and it, sometimes it just takes a little while, but then they they kind of quietly find their groove. And you know, with both those teams, I think it's helped some moves here or there. And in you know, South. Carolina's case certainly moving Jordan Montgomery into that Saturday job um, has been a, a masterstroke by Ray Tanner. Um, we're, we're used to that from him, just like we're used to those kind of brilliant midseason moves from from Paul Maneri and uh, at LSU. And you know those guys are great coaches, and they find ways to put their their players in the best position to succeed. But um, I, I certainly agree that South Carolina's come on strong. Uh, I mean, and you're right. What more can you say about Kentucky? That was the the marquee series this weekend. Two top five teams. Um, Kentucky just their resume is so impressive i can't get over it um now that they've they've won series against south carolina uh old miss and lsu at home they won road series against arkansas and georgia and tennessee i mean it's just uh they don't stop winning you know they're like baylor you, you every time you think maybe this is the weekend they have a hiccup it's not they just they just keep going out there and and, and doing it and uh you know they're they're just a Again, they're a very complete team. There's not a real hole you could point to um, you know, with Kentucky, except for maybe their starting pitching has been a little up and down. But it was better this weekend. Jared, Jared Grundy was better, um, which they needed on Saturday. Jared and, Grundy uh, pitch. <laughs> nice. am sorry.
0: I'm sorry. Been holding it in for several weeks. Couldn't hold it in anymore.
1: I'm proud of you, John, for holding it in as long as you did. But uh,
0: <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I can't even speak. So, I got a little verklempt. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but, but you, you talked about it for for Kentucky. I want I did want to dwell on South Carolina for a minute, because the crazy thing to me is, Aaron, I really thought South Carolina. I mean, we knew they'd pitch well this year, and they have, and they you know they, they pitched quite well. they not off and they, they haven't maintained that crazy early season pace. But I thought they'd be a little bit more offensive club this year. But it, again, the reason I want to bring it up is uh, it, it plays into what we talked about about these veteran teams. I guess that's why I don't. Obviously, I don't put anything past Coach Tanner and the Gamecocks with back-to-back national championships, why would you? But you look at their numbers, and they're not a particularly offensive club, and I think it is because they're so young. Um it feels like a guy like an Adam Matthews and L.B. Danzler and Matthews has been struggling all year, but you know Dantzler, uh, you know had a home run this weekend. He's tied for their team lead. I feel like those two guys are going to have to be the ones to help carry this team in the postseason, because I just, I just don't feel like in this era that a a bunch of freshmen can lead you to a national championship unless those freshmen are just spectacular freshmen, and I, I don't feel like, I feel like South Carolina's freshmen are quite good. I don't feel like they're spectacular.
1: Yeah, and you know, I don't know if it's something we've talked about on the podcast or not. I know it's something we've we've talked about on or, or off the podcast, but... It's 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 so striking to me the difference between college baseball and college basketball where you you have these one and done teams like Kentucky filled with freshmen just really talented guys that can come in and out-talent everybody and win the national title. Right. That you, you're never going to see that in college baseball.
0: No, I think because, you're right. Uh
1: because you have to mature physically, you know, it's just not one of those games where freshmen are going to come in and dominate. You have to adjust to the longer season, uh and that's a big adjustment going from 30 odd games to 56, just in the regular season, before you even get to the postseason, um, you know, and 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 certainly the just the the overall jump in the speed of the game, uh, and the quality of the pitchers you're facing for hitters. I mean, you have to be stronger physically, and that's why so many so many guys take such leaps as sophomores and juniors. But um, i agree with you you know it, it's south carolina you've got christian walker um, you know the whole thing is built around him he's an experienced veteran guy you know he's like they're their max muncie if you want to if you want to compare them to baylor i mean he's probably better than max muncie right um... but uh... you know he's in the same mold they're both very similar guys in that respect uh... but uh... other than that i mean you know Dantzler's got some physicality but i mean you know, I like Evan Marzilli a lot. He's a, he's an experienced older player, but you know he's he's been streaky throughout the course of his career. I mean, it's this is not an offense that's going to scare you, but you know, it wasn't an offense that, was, that scared anybody last year or the year before that. Um, the difference was, that I do think they were a little older, you know, in the lineup the previous two years. I think they were a little better offensively the previous two years. Right. So, right. Um, I agree with you that they've been a little they've been a little disappointing offensively so far.
0: Yeah, and then uh, let's talk about the rest of the Southeastern Conference, Aaron, because this league, obviously, I mean, it's almost like now it's a minimum eight teams that are going to get in from the SEC, maybe yeah. more, but, you know, the SEC East, obviously, these three behemoths, Kentucky, Florida, South Carolina, all are obviously in the tournament. All of them are almost locks to be hosts, in my mind, and all of them are in the running to be top eight national seeds. I don't think all three of them will be, but more than likely two of them will be. Um, and then you look at the West, Aaron. Uh, you got LSU, and then you know a couple of th- Arkansas and Ole Miss that played each other this weekend. And Arkansas, we've kind of touched on. I think we, you've, you've written about them. Uh, they lose that series to Ole Miss this weekend. Uh, I guess I, I guess I'm wondering. You know, usually the SEC is a four or five regional host. Is there a is there a fifth team out, out there in the SEC? You're probably going to look at this more in the in the stock report. Um, obviously, at this time of year, kind of the the podcast turns into a stock report preview. But uh, Arkansas, Ole Miss, does that series win give Arkansas? Uh, I mean, give Ole Miss the, the leg up on those two teams? If there is a fifth team, or is there going to be more to the? Are the resumes similar enough? I guess I should say that that Ole Miss how that gives Ole Miss a, a leg up in, in hosting a regional.
1: Yeah, I, I think so, and I thought it, that would be the case heading into the weekend. I thought that whichever team won that series uh, would would, would kind of take control of the the race for a, for a fifth host. Because you're right, LSU, Kentucky, Florida, South Carolina, I think are all going to host. That seems very safe. Those are all the what all those teams ranked in the top seven now in our rankings. But uh, I, I, and I think this league is strong enough that, that that it has a real chance to get a fifth one. And I think it is Ole Miss because certainly if you're comparing Ole Miss and Arkansas. Uh, the rebels have the much more impressive resume to me. I mean, the fact that they have now have, first of all, they, they have the home, the, the series head-to-head win against Arkansas, but they also have, have that big series win against Florida that does loom large. Um, you right. know, I mean, uh, Ole Miss is they haven't played great on the road. Um, you know, but they didn't get swept at Kentucky. You know, they they didn't get swept at Georgia after they lost the first two games. You know, so it, it, we we talked about the importance of winning series at home and not getting swept on the road in the SEC. That's, that's really the formula there. And and they've done that. I mean, they haven't gone above and beyond that, but they've beaten good teams at home, very good teams. Um, so I, I certainly think they've got the more impressive resume than, than Arkansas. Uh, and if they can keep it going and not fall apart here, I mean, you know, the, the schedule isn't that bad for, for Ole Miss, you know, they've got, they're at Mississippi state this weekend, a series that I'll see at least part of, uh, then they've got an LSU at home. Uh, Again, they've played very well at home. They're a great home team. They've got such a great home field advantage at Swayze with that atmosphere. You know, they're drawing 11,000 fans for a game. I mean, that's insane. Um, And then they've got Tennessee at home, and they're at Vanderbilt, which clearly is a a beatable team, uh, even on the road. I mean, Vanderbilt uh, fell on his face this week against Alabama. You know, they had an opportunity. They are starting to play better, uh, and then you lose to the worst team in the league. I mean, that's that's bad. Um, Maybe Vanderbilt's the worst team in the league.
0: It's very possible, Aaron. And, and I mean, you, you wrote last week, actually actually uh, kind of dismissed Vanderbilt as a regional team, and then you wrote about just how tough their schedule had been, 2-13 and 13 against teams in the top, RPI top 25, not top 50, top 25, which I think was just a uh, killer, killer schedule. But now you're looking at Vanderbilt uh, losing that weekend series. I can't even find them in the RPI. Uh, excuse me. Uh I don't I don't see them in the top sixty of the RPI, so even if they well they are, are at sixty six. So even if they finish with a t- a five hundred record, which is very hard for them to do, they're probably not gonna get an at large bid. Alabama, I think we can say is out. They're nine games under five hundred. Yeah, they're they're
1: one forty five in the RPI. Alabama is so, right. yeah, I mean.
0: so, the, so the tide's out. Auburn is on the precipice, uh that sweep by South Carolina. You know, the rest of their schedule looks very tough. They're only two games over 500 in the league. Home to Tennessee, that's a big bubble series to watch this weekend. Um, Tennessee's RPI is around 60. You know, the Vols, Dave Serrano's got them in the hunt for an at-large bid, but they have to win that series, I think, at Auburn if they're going to be in position. And Auburn's the Tennessee and Florida series to bookend uh, their next four weekends. are at home in the middle at Georgia, at Arkansas. That's not going to be easy. So Auburn, you know, really has to finish strong. And even Mississippi State's not necessarily securely in, uh, Aaron. Right. So, and we talk about the SEC as a, you know, eight teams feel like their birthright. I still feel the rest of the bubble is soft enough that they're going to be eight SEC teams in, and maybe a ninth. But it's certainly not a done deal. Am I correct in saying that, or or is it a done deal that there's a not, You feel like they're secure with nine.
1: I think they're going to get nine because, as you said, the bubble is soft. And I feel, like, I feel like we've been saying that every year now for the last few years. The bubble is soft. And then, you know, some teams, some, some conference favorites some of these mid-majors get upset in their tournaments. And all of a sudden there's less that large bids to go around than you thought there were. And the SEC doesn't get as many teams as you expect. I mean, that's happened. The last few years, the SEC hasn't gotten as many teams as we thought it would. You know, last year, LSU getting left out. Right. Um, I was the- it two years ago that? Was it two years ago that Kentucky was uh, on the wrong side of the bubble? Uh, ultimately, feels like uh, there's uh, been an
0: SEC team on the wrong side the last couple years. You're right.
1: Yeah. So I mean that's something to think about. But I'll tell you, uh, back to Vanderbilt for one second. You know, hypothetically, if they did, I still think that if they if they if they, if they can win, um, finish above 500 overall, um, which is a huge if. But if they could do that, I still think like they would get in because look at the teams still on their schedule. They've got Kentucky, at LSU, Ole Miss, and, and Tennessee. Um, Those are really good RPI teams. I mean, their RPI will climb if they can, in fact, finish above 500 overall. But they're not going to because they're they're not good enough. They're not going to win all those series.
0: It's a great point. I think it's an important point. The bottom line is they're just not good enough. Uh, RPI or not, they're just not good enough. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. Aaron, lastly, you talked about the transitive property uh, earlier in the show. Uh, the the Pac-10 is the enemy of the transitive property, just as much as the ACC is. I'll get used to saying yeah. Pac-12 here sometime soon, I promise. But uh, that day has not yet happened. Um, Aaron, Arizona leading the Pac-12 now. But UCLA, Oregon, Stanford, Oregon State, all one loss back, which is kind of crazy. As is Washington State. I should not leave the, the Cougs out of this. Um, especially since uh, you always call me Johnny Coogs, so I I love the Coogs. But uh, Stanford, to me, is the story of the weekend in the Pac-12, Aaron. It feels like Stanford got its groove back. Uh, They found that young thing uh, to help get their groove back. I can't believe I just made Estella got her groove back uh, (laughs) reference there. But that young thing is Alex Blandino, the great Blandino. And uh, Stanford, all of a sudden, the the Cardinal offense is back, baby. Uh, They score 34 runs. And a weekend at Arizona State where, yeah, it's an offensive ballpark. I mean, the, wait, no, that wasn't even at State, Arizona State. wasn't That was at home, wasn't it?
1: That's right. It was at home.
0: And they punished a pitching staff that has really been punishing opponents. So uh, besides Alex well, tell us a little bit about Alex Blandino. What was kind of his, uh, you know, what's his background as far as, you know, do, I talked to Dean Stops a couple weeks ago, and he told me Blandino's going to be a stud. He's the next guy. But uh, what led to uh, him being in the lineup and, and how, does Stanford, uh, how does Stanford's offense break out this weekend?
1: Well, you know, he it broke out, you're right. I mean, partly because of Blandino. I mean, he just had a huge weekend, a bunch of three-hit games, home runs. I mean, he's uh, he's really kind of come into his own here. And, and, you know, he's a guy that, that was a big recruit for them. Um, he's he's very talented, you know, and, and uh, you know, coming into the year um, – he was kind of an X-factor for them, and the problem is they didn't really have a spot for him because they just were so good and so deep offensively. But, um, you know, he, he kind of started to force his way into the lineup even before Lonnie Kapla got hurt. Um, he was playing some and, uh, you know, kind of a DH sort of a role. And then this weekend, uh, you know, they're, they're, now they're without Lonnie Kapla, who, uh, you know, is shortstop, so they slide Kenny Kroger to short. Um, they put, uh, um, you know, they put uh, Duran at, at second base, um, they put uh, Blandino at third and, and they they moved Piscotty to left field now Blandino is a guy that you know, I've had scouts tell me he's going to be a first round pick in 3 years I mean it's a legit talent the guy who's um, you know who's has uh, got a really short swing and um just knows how to hit you know he's a local guy he's a really, it's, guy, it's
0: the San Jose guy so kind of a the Stanford allure was pretty strong it sounds like with him
1: Right, exactly. You know, and he's he's very talented, and I think he's a good defensive third baseman as well. Kind of gives them an upgrade there, frankly, because Fiscati hadn't been great defensively at third base. Um, so, you know, it, it was it was the right move, and it's given them a lift. I, I you know, I, I wonder about their pitching. I still it's still a question mark for them. I mean, it sounded like Appel pitched okay this weekend, but you know, after that. After that big outing a week ago, where threw 149 pitches, it sounded like he labored a little bit this week. What a shock! Um, you know, stuff stuff wasn't as electric. I mean, Brady Rogers apparently wasn't good either, from what I heard. But uh, <laughs> he got lit up. But they moved AJ Venegas back to the bullpen, where originally I think they kind of hoped uh, they kind of hoped he could make a good closer, and maybe that's that's going to be his role. I mean, he had, you know, he seemed like he'd found a home in the rotation that Sunday spot. He pitched well there. Um, the last. Uh, Week or two, I think. Uh, right. But you know, he 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 pitched in uh, Saturday's game and Sunday's game against the Sun Devils. Um, pitched very very well in both games, and uh, they needed somebody to stabilize the bullpen, so they didn't have to you know leave their ace out there for 149 pitches. So um, I, I guess that's a good thing if if he can hold down that role. They uh, you know they, that then leaves them with a hole on Sunday though, and and John Hochstatter only went four and two-thirds on Sunday. So, I mean, their pitching still leaves something to be desired. It's still not a dominant pitching staff. But if their offense can produce like it did this weekend, like it did early in the year, then it it probably won't matter.
0: It's really amazing to me when you look at their staff, because outside of Appel and Mooneyham, who are two experienced power arms on the weekend, both those guys have a lot of strikeouts. The rest of their staff, they just don't strike anybody out. It is, you know, but again, that doesn't seem to matter if you throw strikes throw strikes. You know, the, my, my Wayne Graham impersonation is pretty much just throw strikes or I got to go wash my soaps. You know, that's pretty much it. Um, <laughs> but, but they don't, they don't throw enough strikes at there. And especially AJ Venegas does not throw enough strikes, I guess, to be that weekend star. And that's why they value Hoekstotter because the major, uh, the, uh, I guess it's actually general Hoekstotter on Hogan's heroes. Uh, the general does throw strikes generally, um, yeah, it's, it's a really it's a, it's an unusual club. They're just they're they're about where we th- maybe a, a little bit less of what we thought they'd be, uh, you know, in terms of their record, and they quite, haven't quite dominated the Pac-12 like maybe we thought they would. Um, and they're doing it in an unusual way, in, in some ways, and that some of the players haven't quite stepped forward. I mean, Blandino leads the team in home runs with 60 at bats. He's got the six home wow. runs. I mean, as physical as the rest of their team is, and the fact that guys like Wilson and Stewart and Piscotty, you know, have hit some home runs, Reguera, have shown some power. The Blandino's got, got more home runs than all those guys. It's a, mm. It's been an unusual year for the Cardinal. And then, like you said, then you have Brett Michael Duran, uh, who's kind of moved into the uh, the spot at second and plays a Coppola, and he's starting to contribute a little bit. So uh, their depth has come into play in a positive way. So, it's a very unusual year for Stanford in terms of who's getting it done, but I still feel like they're an Omaha team in terms of talent. Do you still feel that way, or do those questions about the pitching make you wonder if they're still an Omaha team?
1: Oh, I mean, I certainly think they certainly can be an Omaha team. They're they're definitely good enough to. Um, and I think back to last year, you know, and the fact that that team peaked at the right time um, in regionals, they looked fearsome. and And, you know, they at that point in the season you thought they could beat anybody and uh i wouldn't be surprised if that happens again this year i mean i would have thought that they'd be able to kind of maintain that higher level of play throughout the season because they're 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 older but uh that hasn't been the case but you know if they if they peak at the right time that's what matters and and they're certainly capable of doing that
0: yeah they're gonna have to this weekend uh at ucla at oregon state the weekend after that then uh then the finally, last 3 weeks schedule at least eases up a little bit as they're home to Washington State at Utah and then home to Cal. It doesn't get, nothing's going to be easy, nor should it be, in the Pac-12 area. Uh, you know, I mentioned Wazoo a little bit uh, earlier, Uh big, big weekend series uh, win for Wazoo at Oregon. Um, now, they've already played Utah. I don't mean to pick on the Utes, but they are the – a last-place team in the league, and you kind of need to sweep them when you play them, and, and Wazoo wasn't quite able to do that. D- did this weekend put Wazoo back in the in the regional discussion by going to Oregon, which has, I still think, the best overall resume in the Pac-12? Does that series win put the Cougars back in the, in the discussion?
1: They're back in the discussion, but they certainly have a lot of work still to do. They're still uh, in the mid-'70s in the RPI, and, right. uh, you know, it, it, it helped. They needed. They really needed that series. And coming into the year, we thought Washington State would be a regional team. And um, their pitching has been, I think, by and large, poor this season. Um, but uh, they pitched better this weekend, I think. But they won it with their offense. I mean, this is an offensive team. That's how they're going to have to win a lot of games. Uh, you know, they, eight to three, ten to six, or the two games that they won um, against Oregon. And it's a good Oregon pitching staff. But you know, it's it's a really it's a really experienced. Uh, know, quality Washington State offense, and they they could they could slug their way into a regional, but uh, there's not a lot of margin for error. You know, and the schedule isn't easy. I mean, they have Arizona State coming up. They got Cal, then at Stanford, Oregon State. I mean, it's uh, you know they they got to get hot, and they could, but uh, the pack the Pac-12 is 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 like you said before, it's kind of a muddle. Um, you know, we're looking for a, a seventh kind of regional team in that league after Arizona, UCLA, Oregon, Stanford, Oregon State. Uh, Well, really, you're looking at right now. I think five teams that are pretty safe. Right. Um, Arizona State can't play in a regional, so after that, you know, who's going to be the sixth and or seventh team? Um, You know, Washington State, Cal, Washington, USC, all in the mix, but none of those teams have really separated themselves yet. So that's something to watch for the stretch run.
0: Feels like it should be Cal in terms of talent. Feels like you know the fact they went to Omaha last year. I know their pitching is quite thin. just feels like Cal should be that 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 sixteen to me, mm. Aaron. U hasn't won a a Pac Ten series in a month. Uh Cal did take care of business this weekend by sweeping Utah. Uh they won that head to head against UW. They I know they lost a the series at Southern Cal. Uh just feels like for, you know, they also have that that uh s- star on their resume of having gone to Texas and won that series. Um I know there's some yeah. other things on there, but it just feels like that should be Cal. Uh, they also lost the series of Long Beach State, Aaron, and that brings me to the Big West. Uh real quickly, I mean the Big West was is no hitterville, uh, with uh, Andrew Thurman of Long Beach State. And Long Beach State I guess Aaron is kind of the the sneaky team to watch for regionals because they're still tied for first in the Big West with Fullerton and it feels like, you know, Long Beach State probably not gonna get an at large since they're under five hundred right now and they've just been hovering around that mark all year. But if they got a shot to win the big West? Do you think they can win the big west uh It feels like if they could take care of business against Northridge, Davis, and pacific all winnable series for them. They don't even have to mm-hmm. win that series with Fullerton. to uh they may not have to win that series to to win the league
1: yeah I think they probably will because you know it's not the big West is such that it's not like anyone's going to really challenge Fullerton between now and the last weekend either. I mean, they've got to big right. Santa Barbara and Riverside, I and mean, there's just not a lot of good teams in this league. Um, I think it will ultimately come down to that last weekend. But, you know, Long Beach does have a chance to get an at-large, even if it doesn't win this thing, because if they can finish over 500. Their RPI isn't bad. I mean, it's you know yeah, mid fifties right now. Yeah, they're 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 in the they're in the neighborhood, uh, and and they've really gotten hot at the right time. I think they've won what five straight series now. Starting with at Wichita State, at Cal Poly, at Riverside, the so three three road series in a row. Then home against Santa Barbara and Irvine. Um, showed a lot this weekend by coming back to win a series after getting no hit on Friday. Um, <laughs> well, I think they won the they won they won in walk off fashion uh i believe on on saturday against irvine um you know and and then uh, which kind of turned the tables on the teams what have been what teams have been doing to them all year long i mean irvine has lost a, i mean long beach rather has lost a ton of heartbreakers this season yeah. it's kind of it's kind of crazy so um you know they uh they this team's been through it and they played a tough schedule early on like you said they beat cal uh 2 out of 3 very early they went up to oregon and got swept and then came home played arizona state and Fullerton in a non-conference so i mean they they've had a very rigorous non-conference schedule, and they're still around 500. They're 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 playing well in in the league. You look at their talent, and it doesn't really impress you. Um, they're a very <laughs> mediocre offensive team, kind of par for the course in that conference. One but, home uh,
0: run. I mean, um, one home run. I know they play yeah. at Blair Field, but one home run. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, that's right. I, I'm I'm just throwing this out there. I expect Johnny Bacakis to to drop a home run sometimes. How good <laughs> is Johnny Bacakis? What is, uh, you know? I don't know that
1: he's a home run hitter. I mean, I, you know, that's not uh, – it's just not the identity of this team. Oh, They're, obviously but
0: Come on, give me a – throw me a bone here. His <laughs> name is Bekakis. So that's a great name. They don't even have the- – Johnny. <laughs> this is a family podcast. You watch your mouth. <laughs> We've gone off the rails of the Baseball America College podcast. Uh, but last, Aaron, I do want to talk a little bit about Conference USA because uh, kind of like some of these other leagues – uh you know we we're we're talking about the Big 12 where we're searching for, we were been searching for that fourth regional team it looks like it's going to be Oklahoma talking about the Pac 12 where we're searching for like that lock sixth team SEC like the who which bubble team wants to get come forward there in conference USA it feels like UCF Rice which the, you know the Golden Knights now lead the league uh kudos to them back to back series wins against Southern Miss and then sweeping Tulane this weekend in New Orleans, that's it's not always easy to do. Tulane had been playing well. Uh, I had a couple people in the southeast tell me, like you know, Tulane's a little bit better than you're giving them credit for. Right? You know, yeah, better' you know I had coaches in that league tell me that boy you know Tulane's better than their 92 RPI. Uh, one coach told me, you know, Tulane's going to win that series. I think Tulane's going to beat UCF. No, UCF goes out there and sweeps it. Uh, it. Looks like they're positioning themselves, Aaron, as a as a regional host, which would be a first, I guess, for the Golden Knights.
1: You're right. Right now, uh, you know, you got to figure they're they probably past Miami in the pecking order in that state. Uh, Miami's been up and down. Now they're banged up. So I mean, it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's it, the competition for those last few regional host spots is going to be is going to be tight. But uh, certainly, Central Florida has taken care of business now. In the last two weeks, um, winning those road series against Southern Miss and Tulane back to back a uh, really big series for both of those teams. I mean, for Southern Miss and Tulane if they were going to make a, a run at regionals, they I think they kind of needed to to beat UCF and they they couldn't do it. Um, you know, the Knights have been winning games with their pitching in addition to their bats. I think the fact that uh, you know, they won uh, they they lost a 16-inning one one nothing game last week against Southern Miss and then they come back and and win a one nothing game this Friday against Tulane uh and then you know, in in each case they went and, and out-slugged and, and kind of bashed their team on Friday and Saturday. Um, they, this is an offensive team, but uh, I think their pitching is, is peaking at the right time as well.
0: Yeah, and then Rice, uh, as you've written about and you've talked about, with uh, either to me or on the podcast, you just feel like it's another Rice second-half revival uh, that's on its way, and uh, they're certainly playing that way. And then East Carolina, you know, again, we've, we've heard nothing but really solid things about East Carolina. They're just not a it's not a series win where you could have kind of hang your hat on ECU to have put them in, in the rankings yet. Uh, they did lose their series at UCF and, and they did lose the series at Rice. Maybe if they'd had one of those uh, games, one of those series at home and had won one, they, they'd probably be in the rankings. Um, but you know they've got still have two lane uh, left and they still have to go to Southern Miss. But it feels like East Carolina is a very secure, very solid third best team in this league. Um, yeah, is there a fourth regional team in the in Conference USA right now?
1: I don't think so. I mean, it, you know, you thought maybe Tulane had a chance, but for Tulane to 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 make a run, they just you know they had to start winning series against these good teams, and uh, they lost the right series a couple weeks ago. Uh, they lost the they got swept now by UCF. I mean, I suppose if, you know if they if they go to East Carolina and, and win that series. Uh, if they they beat Southern Miss the week after, you know maybe the RPI will be in range, but I don't know. I I don't see it right now. I I feel like it's still just a three bid league.
0: And Southern Miss is kind of out of that as well, which is no, there's no there's uh, It's very understandable why Southern Miss is kind of on the outside looking in right now. Yeah, they have to go to Marshall, but you know, they still have to play East Carolina. They still have to play at Tulane, and you know two thirds of their rotation is uh, they expected to be there is not there from last year's academic stuff with uh, Thompson and. I'm sorry, I forget the other uh, Jeffrey Thompson. Thomas Jeffrey Thomas and the other guy's last name is Thompson. So Thomas and Thompson, right. uh, two thirds. You lose two thirds of your weekend rotation. You're not going to be as good as uh, you planned. Uh, there are very few programs that can overcome that. So uh, I kind of understand why Southern Miss is a little bit down this year. But uh, I feel like that's a three big league, Aaron. You know.
1: Yeah, you're right. And and Southern Miss is young. I mean, I think they're going to be very good in time. But you know, it's it's noteworthy that Southern Miss is probably going to miss regionals this year I mean maybe they you know maybe they'll get hot in the conference tournament like they've done before uh and keep their streak going but this team's been in regionals every year um you know since I've been doing this I think now is what is it eight straight years that they've uh, feels like it. uh they've been in something like that they've had they've got a nice streak going so um you know one of the, at least one of those years they they needed to get the automatic bid to get in um so maybe that's what they do this year too but they don't strike me i mean you know i, I just think rice and ucf are a clear cut above everybody in this league with east carolina as a clear cut third team um and these other teams just strike me as just okay
0: and it feels like again uh, a great freshman class uh but you got to have the contributions from the older guys and uh that's you know to me that's yeah. That'll be the difference with a team like NC State. Uh, you know, will some of their veteran pitchers, you know, step forward a little bit more consistently to complement Rodon and and their lineup? Andrew Sensen and Danny Canella and some of those guys to complement Trey Turner and Brett Austin and and Jake Fincher. We talked about with all these freshman teams, just not quite enough veteran help at Old, at Southern Miss for Mason Robbins, who's had this tremendous freshman year, and Connor Barron has been not quite as good as Mason Robbins, but. Uh, that very vaunted freshman class at Southern Miss that don't have quite enough veteran help around them. So the theme of today's podcast, Aaron, old. Good day, good good week. Uh, it's good time in college baseball for oldsters like me, right?
1: And, you know, and that's why a team like New Mexico State is having such a great year. You know, a team that's now been in our top 25 for a couple couple of weeks in a row. A lot of juniors and seniors in that lineup. Um, you know, Sam Houston State is an older team, a lot of veterans on that team. I mean, these mid-majors that really jump forward... That's one thing that we're seeing is they they got juniors and seniors. I mean, in, in that respect, it is like college basketball where, you know, a team like Butler can, can get to the national championship uh, game because they've got a, an older team, you know, guys that have hung around, veteran players. Um, it, it's uh, it, it, I think you're right. That's the theme of this podcast, being old. Being old helps a lot in, in college sports.
0: Sam Houston State has a four-game lead. Not, not Again, that just tells you a little bit about just how spectacular – yeah, you know, what Baylor and and, and uh, Florida State are doing in those power conferences, they have bigger leads than than Sam Houston State, which is having a tremendous year, has in the Southland. Um, it's kind of remarkable. Aaron, Sam Houston State or New Mexico State, either of those teams are those teams basically locks to be two seeds, and you know, New Mexico State and Sam Houston State probably going to be two seeds at places like Rice, and the winner that A and M Texas series, or maybe I guess New Mexico State gets sent to. Arizona, if Arizona's a one seed in the host, so that yeah, is there, there are a lot of those teams can really do about that at this point?
1: That feels that feels pretty much like what's going to happen. You know, I mean, it, uh, you know, you never know, I suppose, but uh, uh, I mean, you know, let's be realistic. That's probably the way it's going
0: to fall. And that's you know and that's and that's the reason. I don't mean to slight those clubs, and San Houston State still has to go to Southeast Louisiana, which is the their closest. Or, I'm sorry, their home to Southeast Louisiana. And that is their closest pursuer in, in the league. they still got to go to Texas Arlington, which is also tied. So they still have to play the, the two teams that are tied for second four games behind them. So, I, you know, they, they could lose those series and not win the league. But it, just seems like it still feels like even if they win out, if it their best-case scenario is uh, two-seed somewhere else because there's just not anything on their resume outside of the league that screams, yeah, wow, Sam Houston State, they're going to be a number one seed. And same thing with New Mexico
1: They've got that nice series win very early against San Diego. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, uh, I, I just I can't see them getting a host over, a, you know, a team like Texas A&M, let's say, or Texas, you know, if those teams are on the on the periphery of the hosting discussion. Uh, I don't think I – mean, I don't even – I don't know what the facilities are like at, at Sam Houston State. But, I mean, they're not going to host over Texas or Texas A&M.
0: Now, New Mexico State, could they do anything with that? They are 21 in the RPI. They have that series win to start the year against Wake Forest. So you go and you beat an ACC mm-hmm. team. That looks That looks good. Now this weekend they're playing Baylor. I guess it does feel like New Mexico State, with that RPI, and they still have to go to Hawaii, Fresno, San Jose State, pretty good teams in the WAC. I guess it does feel like they have an outside shot of being a one seed. Am I crazy to think that?
1: No, I think I think you're right. I mean, it's it's fascinating to, to think about that. They're 30-11. and 11. You know, they're number 21 in the RPI. Um, they do have some quality wins. They've got those wins against Arizona. That we talked about, you know, those mid-two mid-week wins, which is kind of the, um, you know, that, that's really the centerpiece of their of their resume. But uh, you know, they're 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 a, they're a good club, and and if they go to Baylor this week and you know, let's say they they win, let's say they win both those games at Baylor. Yeah, just uh, a sake of
0: argument. Yeah.
1: I mean, all of a sudden, I think you got to take them
0: seriously as a potential one seed. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think you do. Uh, it would be crazy. It would be awesome for New Mexico State. It'd be great for college baseball. If someone from one of these other leagues, besides a UCF or a Conference USA kind of team, but a team like New Mexico State, uh, and then again, we had, didn't talk about it in the, per- the podcast gone long, but Purdue, Aaron, we'll wrap up with Purdue. They yeah. go on the road. You pre, you profile both those teams in weekend preview, Purdue and Nebraska. They go to, uh, Lincoln and win two out of three against the Cornhuskers. Pretty big series win for Purdue. Feels like they, uh, I guess they the last piece of that is just where do they host, you know? But uh, I feel that like they yeah. have a shot. Still, they can go and win that series at UCLA. I feel that like they could be more than a host. I feel that like they could be a top eight yeah. national seed if they win that series, can't they? They're eight in the RPI right now.
1: Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I, I think you're right. I think if they go to UCLA and win that series, that's what they're playing for. Is is a, is a chance to be a national seed? Purdue. Um, Which hasn't won a Big Ten in uh, a century. I mean, more than a century. More than uh, a century. Unbelievable. It is unbelievable, but they're 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 doggone good, and you know. Um it's it's the star power. We talked a lot about the Kevin Ploweckies and the um you know, the Nick Whitgrins and the and the Cameron Perkins and those guys get it done week after week and that's what happened this week. They got big hits from, from their stars, Plewecki and Perkins, and they got a great relief outing from, from Whitgrin. Um you know, three plus innings of scoreless work. I mean it's uh they're their stars and Joe Hayes and Lance Breed love over the course of the season and yeah. I mean those the stars have carried them. I'll know, tell you and, what else uh, allowed them.
0: And it, it, to, to use Wickren that much on Sunday, Aaron, was that I watched the Friday game, and Blake Mascarello was really nice out of their bullpen. Yeah. He was composed.
1: Absolutely, you're right. It's a-
0: pumped in a lot of strikes. Again, <laughs> theme of the podcast. He threw a ton of strikes. He dared Nebraska to hit him, and they couldn't damage him. You know, So um, I, I really do think in the course of, uh, as this plays out, the BB Corps bats are going to wind up being really good for college baseball because more guys, I think, are going to go play college baseball with this new CBA, and pitchers are going to learn to throw strikes. They're going to learn to pitch to contact. Yeah. And to me, this is a sidebar, but I think pitch to contact gets a bad name because here's how, here's what I think, and I'll have to run this by a pitching coach, but here's why pitching coaches say pitch to contact, Aaron. Because in the major leagues, you have to get strikes in the strike zone. You have to be a good major league pitcher. You have to get swings and misses in the zone. Hitters in the major leagues will not always bail you out by chasing like they will in college, in the minor leagues, even in the upper level of the minor leagues. But that's the difference. Like you watch Triple A baseball and when we saw David Price, I know I've told this story before, he could not get dudes to chase in Triple A. That's why he struggled a little bit in Triple A. That's why guys that's why the changeup and the cutter are such great pitches. They look like fastballs that are going to be in the strike zone, and in the case of a changeup, it dies or you're out front, and you still can get a swing and miss in the strike zone. Or a cutter, again, looks like a fastball, then it winds up out of the strike zone. You're going to get swings and misses, or you're going to get contact, weak contact. That's how those pitches work. So when a pitching coach says, pitch to contact, what he's trying to get in a pitcher's mind is throw the ball in the doggone strike zone, (laughs) And, 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 and you're trying to drill that into people's heads. And... The B.B. bat, more than anything else in baseball probably in the last 40 years, <laughs> will drill that into a young pitcher's head of throw strikes, pitch the contact, which really means throw the ball in the strike zone, because you'll be rewarded for it. So hopefully long term, that's what comes out of this B.B. bat era is yeah. young pitchers learn to throw pitches in the strike zone and to pitch the contact, and the best way to throw strikes is to throw fastballs. And hopefully it's a cumulative effect that you throw more fastballs, therefore you command the fastball more, therefore you hopefully throw with better velocity because you're throwing more fastballs. And hopefully in the long term it builds on itself. I wonder if you you have seen any evidence of that or heard any evidence of that in the last two years. But it just feels like pitchers like that who throw more strikes, you're rewarded more for throwing more fastballs it feels like in this era.
1: Exactly, and you know what else is, is? Pitchers still need to learn that it's okay to throw the ball in the inner half and challenge hitters inside. That's I mean, great and play. you've got a guy like Mark Mark Appel who's, who's you know, who's got incredibly electric stuff, and he's he's had a nice year, but he hasn't had the kind of dominant year that you'd expect a guy with his stuff to have, and it's. Partly, I think, because he doesn't pitch inside. Everything is away, 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 away all year long. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't own the strike zone. I mean, with these bats, especially, and with you know, with any kind of bat, if you're throwing in the, the mid to high 90s. That's right. Challenge the hitter. Go inside. I mean, and you know, you can do that with a mid 80s fastball in college baseball, and have a lot of success if you can locate.
0: And that's that's again, uh, <laughs> just locally, provincially. That is what makes Strowman and Rodon so special. I really think if you had top five pitchers in college baseball, those are two of the top five for me. And uh mm. Strowman this year might be number one. Um I don't know, who's the best pitcher in the game to you right now, Aaron? Who's the best pitcher in college baseball this year? Not best season, best
1: season. I think it probably uh might be Marcus Strowman. John, I think I think you're I think you're right. I think that's who I'd go with.
0: I mean Kevin Gossman's in that short short list. Uh, he owns the strike zone a little bit more than Appel. If I had to, I, I think right now, if I'm taking a college pitcher number one, if I'm to me that, and we've talked about that, I know we're, I know I'm going on a tangent now, and going too long, but you got me on a roll. So it's your fault. <laughs> but Appel, he just dogged on Appel, and I think those are legitimate criticisms of Mark Appel. Kyle Zimmer's stuff has been down of late, has it not? At San Francisco.
1: It was definitely down last week uh, when I saw him down at LMU. I mean, you know, it was still, still he peaked at 94 early, kind of pitched around 90 after that. But you know, people people love the people love the breaking ball. It's a good slider and changeup. I mean, it's the makings of uh, of a quality four pitch repertoire. He's really athletic. I mean, there's a lot to like with with Kyle Zimmer, but his stuff hasn't been as good as it was earlier on.
0: No doubt, Mark, Michael Walk is in that mix at Texas A&M. He wasn't great this weekend. We've already talked about. Hey, Baylor's pretty doggone good. Baylor probably had something to do with that. You saw Michael walk out his absolute best, did you not, at uh, Pepperdine?
1: I did. Yeah, I did. That was the game that he had a. I think he had a perfect game into the eighth. Um, and uh, you know, he's capable of, of certainly really dominating. I mean, with his size and uh, velocity, and that obviously that changeup, which is a real separator for him, uh, and and the fact that his his sec, his breaking balls have improved too.
0: That's what she said. But uh, I really do think. Out of all those guys, I would take Kevin Gossman. The more, hmm. the more things go this year, uh, I, I'm wondering uh, what, why does Kevin Gossman? And we I don't think that we're even guilty of it. I think we do always include Kevin Gossman in the discussion. Shouldn't Kevin Gossman be in this discussion for number one overall pick? I mean, he feels yeah. like he's just as good as those other guys, and he feels like he throws more strikes. And on top of it, he's got a guy, Alan Dunn, as pitching coach this year. He's been in pro ball for a long time. Uh, Paul Maneri, been around college baseball a long time, but has a pretty decent track record of producing professional players, whether it was at Notre Dame or uh, now at LSU. Uh, has a lot of contacts in pro ball. I'm starting to warm up to the idea of Kevin Gossman going 1-1, Aaron. Maybe I maybe – taught I, me off the ledge. Am I crazy or is there a, a – no. how, how hard would you be looking at Kevin Gossman 1-1 if you were Jeff Luno?
1: I mean, he's just as good as any of those guys, and maybe better. I mean, as you know, the thing about Gosman is that he he's not always dominant either. I mean, I feel like he's had several of these games where he's gone, you know, seven innings, eight innings, given up four runs. I mean, he's had a I feel like a number of games where he's 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 been hit a little bit. You know, I mean, it's not like he's really overpowering hitters, and that's the problem is there isn't really a guy out there who's having a a Trevor Bauer kind of a season or David Price when he was a junior or right. a Strasburg. I mean, there's there's the, none of the top guys are having top-of-the-line seasons. I think Marcus Stroman is having an an, an elite season, regardless of his, his win-loss record. I mean, that just shows you how flawed that stat is because Marcus Stroman has been utterly dominant uh, said, week after week after week.
0: Goffman and, does have 88 strikeouts in 69 innings. I mean, yeah. he's, he's given up some hits. You know, he's given up some, some extra base hits. He's given up a lot of doubles. feels like he's been more dominant than – and he's in the better league. I guess I'm wondering how much does that being in the Southeastern Conference – uh, how much kind of do we give him uh, – and he's got to have Jordy Snickerus behind the plate. That gives him a little – that gives him some wings to to lift him up the rankings. Um, <laughs> Greek, Greek uh, mythology joke of the day. It just it just feels like maybe we have not done, done that enough. Maybe it's up to me and uh, Jim and Connor on the draft side. Haven't talked up Gossman enough. But, I mean, I, I feel like that's pretty – and what he did against Kentucky, as hot as Kentucky has been, I feel that's a, that's a, as good as anything these other guys have done. You know, 11 strikeouts in 7 innings and he only walked one and his walk strikeout numbers are pretty good. I mean, it's 4 to 1. It's getting close to 5 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio. I'm 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 warming up to Kevin Gossman being right in the heart of that discussion as much as anybody.
1: Yeah, I mean, and again, I, like I said, this even in the chat last week, I think he is right in the heart of that discussion. Absolutely, I don't think there's any difference between him and Appel and Zimmer at this point. Or you know, you could throw Walker and Strowman in there if you want to have five names. Uh, you can put those guys in a lot of different orders, and I would be fine if you had Gossman at the top. And I'll let you know more next week when I see Gossman down at LSU. That's
0: the last thing. Uh, too long of a podcast, but you're heading down to SEC country for your first trip uh, beyond uh, Columbia, South Carolina, which is our our easiest drive from the Raleigh-Durham area. Where are you headed this week? Tell people where they can see the Aaron Fit experience.
1: Uh, yeah, I'll be at Baton Rouge on Friday, um, maybe Saturday, and then going to head down, up to Starkville for uh, the last game or two of that uh, Ole Miss Mississippi State series. So uh, I'll be around, I think, for a midweek game Tuesday as well at at, uh, at Pearl between um, the Rebels and uh, Southern Miss. So I'll see, I'll see uh, four games over the course of a few days. Should be a good trip.
0: I think you're going to have to interview Ray Frimes about hitting 537 games in. Uh,
1: Crazy, isn't that it? That is not
0: thats ridiculous. I mean, I knew he was still hitting over 450. I didn't realize he had the kind of weekend where he was hitting 500, over 140 at-bats. That's uh, that's first-team All-America territory. That might be uh, – that's Dave Magadan yeah. territory where that is. I think Dave Magadan <laughs> – uh, didn't he hit 513 back in uh, 1983? Maybe he hit 481. I think you're right, John. Something like that. I think uh, Dave Magan is the last time I can remember a dude having that kind of a year. I do know, uh sticks out to me that my first year of BA in 1997, my first college season, uh, that I believe Adam Kennedy hit 479 at Cal State Northridge. I still think that's a, he, he may have actually hit, there may have been a dude who hit 481 like at Fordham since then, but that's kind of the peak. I, and actually, I guess the year before, uh, I think Pat Burrell hit four eighty four as a freshman. Of course those are all with the minus five bats. I'd be curious to know what the best batting averages since nineteen ninety nine when the bats went back to minus threes. Does the number stick out in your head, Aaron? That would he'd be challenging a four eighty uh, kind of season.
1: You know, uh, there there's been some there's been some certainly some great seasons. What did Ricky Weeks hit his his great year?
0: That's a great call. I, I have to look that up at the uh you know, type faster than I do on my iPad uh, to figure that one out and look that one up. But, I mean uh, – uh, The answer is uh,
1: he hit – Ricky Weeks hit 497 in 2002 and 483 nice. in 2003.
0: 493
1: in 2003? 497 in
0: 2002, 483 in o three. That's so he, crazy. he slumped as a junior. That dude was so good. It's just so much fun. I got a feature on Quintavious Drain that will come out this week. And <laughs> Excuse me. It just, it's a lot of fun to uh, – Talk to people in the SWAC because for me it always comes back to those early 2000s Southern teams. And one of the reasons is that the assistant coaches and the players off those teams are scattered throughout the SWAC. And even players on other teams, coaches on other teams have former Roger Cador players who are assistant coaches. And uh, Coach Cador has been in that league for so long. And uh, Jackson State's dominating that league. And so you have that to look forward to this week as well as. uh, I talked down to the man, the myth, the legendary name, Quintavious Drains, and uh, tried to put a little uh, person behind the name, and that was a lot of fun, Aaron. Uh, and Quintavious, with his seventh complete game this weekend, leads the nation. Uh, <laughs> he beat, uh, I forget who they beat, Alcorn this weekend, uh, coached by former Southern assistant Barrett Ray and uh, the defending league champion. So Jackson State kind of rolling through the swag. Uh We'll see if they can, obviously the tournament is what really matters in the swack in terms of a national picture but it just feels like Jackson State could win a game or two in a regional because they have Quintavius. <laughs> he's <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> and he's like like nine and two. And then they have this five foot eight uh Des Russell, five foot eight right handed pitcher, the Bahamian Marcus Strowman, as I'm gonna call him from now on, uh, who's their other he's their number two starter and these two guys are have been very competitive and they've really dominated the SWAC, and I think that if you have two starters like that it makes things interesting, yeah. uh when you get into the postseason and um, um, Go ahead.
1: And, and, they, and they they steal a ton of bases, as, as usual. They just put a lot of pressure on you with their speed, um, you know, and, and that's, a, that's a separator for them as well, I think.
0: I agree. No, it's hard to – you're going to have a hard time getting scattering reports on Omar Johnson's club in Jackson State, and uh, I think they're going to be competitive. Uh, I think they're going to be more – I think this is the year where the SWAC team is actually going to be the more competitive team in postseason play as opposed to the MEAC where it's been in you know, Bethune-Cookman for years. But uh, two long podcast. Aaron, I got rolling the last 20 minutes, started pacing around. I don't know why, but uh, I got I got, to, I got all geeked up, and I I appreciate you playing along. And Aaron, you're going down to SEC country for the first time this weekend. You got to be geeked for that trip. Yeah, I'm I'm fired
1: up. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I've been waiting to see the new Alex Box Stadium for a long time. It's uh, way overdue. So uh, I am fired up, John. Not as fired up as you are at the end of a podcast, pacing around the room, but uh, but close.
0: Well, uh, eat some gumbo for me, and remember that this Baseball America College Podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the Baseball Training Machine Company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train. And my screen just went out on my iPad. We're committed to delivering <laughs> oh, no. tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit atecsports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbett and more on atecsports.com. ATEC When every practice. For Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on another loopy edition of the Baseball America Podcast. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it.